Episode 131, The Challenge of Reaching Patients. Today, I speak with Zach Silverswag from Cypher Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. My first podcast conversation with Zach Silverswag, co-founder over at Cypher Health, aired two years ago. In fact, it was episode 41. At that time, Cypher Health aimed with steely-eyed focus to reduce readmissions. And Cypher still aims to reduce readmissions, but they have broadened their footprint over the past two years to include a wider array of patient engagement opportunities and challenges. It's harder to reach patients than you might think. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Zach. Happy to be here. Hi, Stacy. Welcome back. Yeah, been a while. It has been. Last time you were on the show was April 2015. Wow. Time flies. Two, two years, yeah. Yeah, a lot has happened since then. In fact, you have been very busy. I understand that you are in the process of releasing something like seven or eight new products. <laughs> yeah, it's been, a, it's been a pretty amazing year. We're ready to kind of take the, the next steps. And so, you know, having these conversations with our uh, growing hospital base and listening to the different challenges that they're finding, finding solutions that are, that are emerging in the market. So we've got a couple of really interesting things to kind of connect the dots and help support some of these more complex programs, some of the more risk-oriented programs. So everything from, you know, appointment reminders, make sure that people show up to, you know, gap calls where people may have a care gap that has been identified and we're trying to help them close that that gap in care. We've been moving into the clinic space with kiosks, um, you know, a number of different patient-facing applications as well. So whether that's a you know, really advanced SMS engagement platform or partnerships where we're providing clinical content to the patient. I have a strategic question for you. Shoot, I'll try. It's been said, stick to the knitting. So, you know, you guys are expanding in all kinds of different directions. What's the strategic impetus for doing that as opposed to deepening a core product on a, on a single product yeah no it's a really great question and i think you know the idea of product focus has been something that we really have had to balance over the years you know first i think it's it's a question of how mature your core product is right and so with, with both voice and orchid we feel like we've really got a a very mature product that does you know a, a tremendous amount and delivers a lot of value so in some cases some of these new products that we're launching are really you know special projects that we work on with one hospital that turn out to be a, a need that we see in a lot of different organizations, kind of wrap it into something that, you know, other hospitals can really take advantage of and, and make it more generic. As the company grows, you you still need the question of focus. It's just a question on, you know, how big is that thing that you're going to focus on? So I think when we when we started, we were really trying to help hospitals reduce readmissions by post-discharge follow-up. And so we were super focused on on that. Now our sort of our focus has just broadened. So I think it's how do we help hospitals engage with patients and how do we use that engagement to drive outcomes across a wide variety of programs and we're getting into that sort of complexity. The kinds of tools that you need are just become more refined. So, you know, a, a Swiss army knife is more effective just because you have, you know, all these different organizations with all these different specific needs, all these different levels of maturity. And, you know, I think one of the 
the real strategic value of what a lot of our big customers are seeing is that by having a diverse set of tools within the same umbrella, you have this completely integrated platform that's providing you know, both patient engagement and care coordination and you know, sort of workflow orientation at the same time. If you had three different systems, you need nine different connection points to get everybody to talk to everybody plus the EMR. When we go to the table with somebody and we know that they have patients that are involved in a, in a bundle payments program, maybe they're doing CJR and maybe that's mandatory. They might have a hospital-led ACO that they're working as part of. They might have risk-based contracts with insurers. Each of those different programs kind of needs a different tool. And to be able to offer all of it has been really you know, fantastic. So we've got you know, a number of different folks that are looking at us in, in a much different light now that we're offering this full suite instead of just being kind of a point solution. Recently, I've sat in a number of presentations, mainly given by people involved in innovation groups at various larger organizations. And I have stared at slides with varying degrees of focus and clarity, but all attempting to articulate a point, which I'm going to consolidate here. (laughs) The industry started out shoving all kinds of disconnected things at patients and physicians, like the Internet of Things, or a more accurate description, maybe the the IoT, it probably could have been called the I-O-V-D-R-T, you know, the Internet of (laughs) very disconnected and random things. Then we started to integrate the things, maybe as a second phase. Now we're kind of focused on having one big thing as a goal, as an aspiration, you know, like one thing that can follow a patient longitudinally maybe and trigger the next logical action in kind of a considered and evidence-based progression. And if you've got a lot of very disconnected things or even a lot of things that are sort of integrated, it's very difficult to do that in any sort of streamlined way. Is that kind of the idea? that's you're stealing from our sales pitch. <laughs> that's oh. exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, but it's it's really interesting. You know, in the Internet of Things. Ten years ago, it was cloud. Then it was big data. It's patient engagement. You know, Internet of Things. All these all these different terms get bandied about. And lately, we're hearing a lot of folks describe their tools as being AI. What we're trying to do is sit down with folks that are at the tip of the spear for managing high risk patients. Right. So they they have delegated patients, they're, they're managed care, they own, they own the risk, they're, they're fully responsible financially for these patients. They have a vision for what they want to accomplish. And that idea of sort of a, a integrated, you know, pathway that we're creating is exactly what they're talking about. So, you know, with some of our customers, we're able to do things like a phone call program to do a screening. That screening is then, you know, connected to a third party where we're getting a, a risk score from a, you know, nationally recognized partner. We're using that risk score of enrollment in care management or enrollment in long-term voice outreach. And the entire time, it's all connected you know, in, into this one platform. So people have that, that visibility. So I think it's been really interesting to kind of listen to all the words that people use to describe effectively really advanced roles engines and, and how those come into play. But to your point, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think if you want to connect all of those types of services for a patient, the ability to do that. Uh, using their APIs or to like weave together a, a solution based on, you know, five or six partners, I think it's going to be really, really challenging. So the, the screening example that you just gave, you're talking about closing one, I'm going to call it a task loop, and I might have just made up that word. So in other words, if I just send a text to a customer and, and then you're left with a, a now what, you know, you've got to figure out how you're going to close that loop. But ultimately what we're doing here is that task loop is just one loop on a 
long continuum. You know, like there's going to be something that needs to happen in clinic afterwards, or there's going to need to be, you know, maybe there's a letter campaign that's going on, or I don't know, just making stuff up. So when you're talking about filling in gaps, are you talking about that at the scale of one task or one thing? Or are you thinking about it more broadly? Like you're going to help a provider manage a high acuity patient, like the whole way along the whole continuum? It's nice to use the term closed loop. You know, people kind of feel like that's great and they know what that means and they can kind of, it kind of resonates. But, you know, if, if the patient's looping back and forth to the hospital, that's a readmission, right? So the real strategy is how do you put them on a path that's going to get them into a fundamentally different place? At the start, you know, you can really think of population triage. So we have uh, clients where, you know, we're reaching out to hundreds of thousands of patients that are part of a cohort and helping them to close gaps of care that either we've identified or they've identified. So let's say folks have the flu shot that they need to get in a given year. We can reach out to the patients that haven't had the flu shot, alert the team that's helping them schedule those flu shot uh, reminders and and set up calls to to get that gap closed. Our ability to, to help at the population level has been astounding. So we've got case studies that we're releasing, and that's part of this new kind of Care Gaps for Voice product that's that's one of the, the eight that you mentioned, where we're taking a population and improving the health of the population. It's actual population health. Let me ask you a question about that flu example. I see the outbound. You, you have a robocall or you can alert the team that somebody needs a flu shot. Right. That's the easy part. But then what happens? You know, so what's the end of that story? Yeah. So I'd say, you know, the, the outbound ad- outreach has a lot of secret sauce in it. The first piece of it is a lot harder than people think. The program that we, we just ran, uh, we had a reach rate of almost 50% on outreach like that. And I think, you know, when we were looking at some competitive data that we saw, the, the competitors that were up in kind of this head-to-head competition on this were at 10%. So, you know, some of the learnings that we've made over the years on how to use the phone and how to use texting to reach patients, we've really been able to sort of codify into a very advanced system of outreach that is getting just exceptional results. So the first thing is you have to actually talk to the patient and find out what's going on. And then once I've got that patient, I'm doing the engagement, you've got to real time, you know, connect them with a care provider that's actually going to make a change, right? Because you're, you're trying to get them to change their behavior. You're trying to get them to come to, to a doctor's visit or to get a blue shot. So the platform to follow through the end of the example supports, you know, as soon as that patient reports that they're interested in getting a, a flu shot, we're connecting them with resources so that way they can get that scheduled. And that's, you know, that that really does help to, to your earlier term. That does help close the loop for that particular patient and make sure that they get that, you know, that piece of care. Basically, like press one on your phone if you want to make an appointment. They press one. And then I'm really good at making up people's solutions. <laughs> so they press one on their phone. And tell me if I'm right or wrong here. And then they get connected to like a, an appointment set up person or something. Exactly. Yeah. And they're using our, our application to track you know, different information related to that. And so then the, you know, the magic comes in kind of setting up that, that call program at the outset to make sure that we're calling patients at the right time. We're using demographics analysis to time the calls. We're using like location-based information to time the calls. We've got ways to reach out on multiple phone numbers, support like kind of a cross hybrid between traditional telephone outreach and, and SMS. And, you know, you kind of keep adding in these different things, supporting multiple languages, uh, using local dialects, having, you know, messages from care teams that have worked with the patient, and customizing the whole process to the to the needs of the hospital. So like each, you know, each of those little different tricks kind of adds 1%, 2%, 3% to our engagement rates. Yeah. And I, I know exactly what 
you're saying there by anecdotal personal example. I had a someone robocall, maybe it was an email. Anyway, a physician saying I needed to come back for my eye exam, if you must know. And um, the first step was type the last four digits of my social security number in. I'm like, A, you shouldn't even have my social security number. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm not sure I want to text this back to you right now. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, there's, it's funny, you, you talked before about like HIPAA secure texting and uh, cybersecurity was huge at HIMSS this year, it's, you know, especially with a couple of hospitals having data held hostage. And, and then you have something like SMS, which is in a lot of ways, not HIPAA secure. You know, it depends on what the content is. There are ways to sort of work through it. Different hospitals feel differently about whether it is a HIPAA secure method for communication or not. You know, I think it's uh, it's really interesting to kind of see how folks are sort of handling, kind of balancing the, the cybersecurity risk with the high quality of patient engagement that leads to really high outcomes. Do you feel like, given your new, more comprehensive offering suite, that is going to diminish the capability of small, small startups to get a foot in the door. I think that in healthcare, there's a ton of space for everybody. You know, the healthcare, it's a really sticky market. Even now, it's, it's slow to move. It's relationship driven. You know, we, we like to talk about it as kind of a brick and mortar startup because there's no easy way, especially in the hospital space, to just sort of rapidly expand to be supporting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sites like you have to sort of earn it over time because the the three to five hospitals like the small systems that are three to five hospitals want to see the success at the one or two independent hospitals then you've got your you know mid-sized systems that are looking for success at the smaller systems you've got your big systems that are looking for success at the mid-sized systems and kind of goes goes up this chain so you know, I, I do think we we are trying to cover some grounds because we think that there's a lot of folks that are interested in things that are relatively easy to build in the grand scheme of things. The other thing that's nice that, that we have to our advantage is the core assets. You know, we talked a little bit about cybersecurity. Having the platform be completely, you know, as as secure as we can make it. It's hard to say completely secure, but as as secure as we can make it, really helps make it. You know, that's one of the hard parts. So if we can add something new into our ecosystem, it's part of this managed security. So the way that we do login, the way user access, the way that we manage logout and PHI, all that stuff you kind of get for free when we when we roll something out. So you know, I do think we are in a really good position where we have a couple of assets that, that we can use to our advantage now that we didn't have before. And, and namely, those assets are you know, a really large customer base. So it's it's easy to get folks who want to try new things and, and roll out some of these these products, as well as you know some of the security stuff and, and kind of core infrastructure around interfaces and data management and, and those kinds of pieces as well. Right at the very top of this conversation, you were talking about how you have transformed or broadened your focus from a readmission focus to a patient engagement focus. And I'm assuming that you've done that because that's what your, your customers are saying that they need. Could you just drill into that a little bit, you know, like, why do you feel like that transition has happened? And I mean, patient engagement is one of those terms that is, you know, as big as the universe. You know, what specifically does that mean in relationship to what customers' needs are? Yeah, great. Let me start with the the second part first, because I think it's really important. When someone asks, what is patient engagement? Or how do you define a patient engagement tool? What comes to my mind is one thing. And it is how many patients can you reach? And when I say the word reach, you know, keep, keep the definitions coming, how many of those patients are communicating information back to the patient engagement provider? By that definition, you know, 
a patient portal is a patient engagement tool. It's within the patient engagement space. In some ways, it's not that effective because the usage rates on it are, are so low, right? So if I have a patient engagement, but I'm only getting 5% or 10% of my patients to access it, it's patient engagement, but how, how effective is it really? So I think what we're aiming for is that hospitals are able to do 100% patient engagement, right? They're able to engage with every single patient. Ideally, they're doing that before, during, and after the hospital visit. And it's moved beyond readmissions because the, you know, some of the, the programs that have been developed and, and where we see you know, new programs coming, it's moved beyond readmissions because where we see the market heading over time, and it's a slow shift, and it's not to say that readmissions is not a core focus because it still absolutely is for, for a lot of hospitals. But programs like bundled payments and even, even with their you know, maybe a, a little bit more hesitant future now, the risk-based contracting in general readmissions is a major component of the cost curve, but it's not the only component. So the the other components that we're looking at now are after the patient's discharged, where are they headed? How much time are they spending at the facilities that they're going to? Who's the support team that's working with them once they're, you know, engaged either in a in a facility or once they get back to home? What's the support look like from a family perspective? What's the patient activation and how is the patient going to be able to take care of themselves. You know, ultimately that's where, where we're trying to end up for, for a lot of these folks. So, you know, as soon as you start to realize that, you know, readmissions was one of the ends that we could accomplish with the patient engagement platform. And there are actually hundreds and hundreds of different objectives that all of these different healthcare stakeholders have that we can help them address. In addition to the product launches this year, we're expanding like wildfire in different healthcare markets. So our ambulatory space, our post-acute space, we've just seen fantastic growth. We've got uh, great work going on in the government space for uh, the Prime program in California, for the district program in New York, uh, doing programs for Blue Cross in Chicago. And, you know, all of those things are, are kind of related to this this broadening of our, our horizons, which you know, you start off, you're, you're new entrepreneurs. We, you know, it's really me, Randy, and, and Alex just trying to figure out how we could help. And you know, now, you know, we look back at it and we've got 10 years of experience <laughs> in the healthcare market. And we've been part of this patient engagement movement since before it had such a clearly defined name. And, you know, and so I think we've, we've just been trying to take some of those lessons and expand the view a little bit. When you're talking about following the patient, you know, through their discharge journey. You know, as you said, it, there's some things that transpire prior to readmission. So if you, if you track a patient through those various stages of what happens once they get out of the hospital, then you have a better chance of preventing them from coming back. Do you find that that is a universal type of message that needs to hit those patients or for every single type of discharge? In other words, if this patient was discharged with heart failure and that one was discharged because they fell down and broke their hip and this one was discharged because, you know, of, for pneumonia. Right. Does a provider need to create a different strategy for each type of patient or is it one basic framework that might be customized a little bit? I think the best practice possible would be to have very specific tailored messaging for, for the patient themselves. We have one hospital that uses a, a tool called Echo, uh, which is our uh, discharge recording tool, so that the, the discharge team, as they're 
as they're going through and giving that kind of three minute summary to the patient of the most important things related to their discharge education, they're recording it on our tool and then we're, we're playing it back for them specifically. So that's, that's as patient specific as you can get. It's not even within the diagnosis. You're actually enabling a, an exact message that's going exactly to that patient that you're giving them the opportunity to listen to multiple times after they go home. Now it's not, it's not viable for every, for every provider to have that level of service and not everybody has enough risk-based contracting where, you know, that sort of specificity is, is kind of ROI optimal. So you kind of get into these questions of what's the, What's the thing that we should do? You know, what what's the optimal care that we could provide? What's the best care to provide at sort of a given cost? And and you have to you have to kind of work to find that balance. Most of the hospitals that we work up with, uh, the health systems, IDNs, wind up at a at a nice happy medium where you take the big hitters, the diabetes and CHF and COPD, and stage renal cancer maybe, and you're running programs specific to those diagnoses, and then you know more general got programs that are just kind of nets of uh, safety nets, really. So you're running safety net programs to make sure that any of the other patients that have an immediate concern get flagged and identified. It's a tricky thing. You know, it's really tricky to kind of predict who's going to have a problem in the future and try to get them in touch with a provider before something bad happens. Along those lines, you know, you mentioned AI earlier, and I know you're working on a couple of things to make those predictions more accurate. What's going on there as far as either what you're working on or what you see in the market that you're interested in? So the idea of risk scoring and predictive analytics for readmission has been around for a really long time. And there's a lot of companies that spent a lot of time in the space. And, and you know, I think, I think with some success for sure. What Cypher has, which is really interesting, is a almost a 10-year history of patient engagement at the scale of millions and millions of patients. Right, so I think we're we're on track for 20 million patient interactions this year, which is a huge, huge number of data points. And when you have patient engagement data like that, I actually know how the patients felt after they went home. Right, so I think like if you're if you leave the hospital and you don't feel well, the chances of you coming back to the hospital are greater. So we we have we have data that's coming from the patient's mind after they leave. So what we're really excited about right now in the in kind of the AI machine learning space is taking all of the stuff that has been done over the past 10 years, 15, 20 years in predictive analytics. And a lot of that has become you know, very powerful open source tools on sentiment analysis, uh, machine learning algorithms, all, all, the, all the rage. But the secret sauce is going to be a data set of tens of millions of interactions with patients and a, a history of readmissions on a cohort that you know, spans all different demographics, all different conditions. The data set that we have there is... Uh, is perfectly unique. I, I don't think there's any other company that has that kind of information in the in the context that we have it. And so I think what we're what we're really hopeful to see and what we've what we've already seen is when we start to layer the patient engagement data into predictive analytics, that's where we're seeing really powerful models emerge. I was just looking at uh, some analysis by one of our our team members where they were running uh, sentiment analysis on uh, comments that were coming through as part of the the conversations that the the care teams were having with the patients and uh, assigning different you know feelings to those comments. So were they afraid? Were they happy? Were they sad? And based on fear in that comment, they saw a twenty percent impact on the model in terms of what it would do for predicting whether that patient was going to be readmitted or not. Hmm, wow. Maybe it's an obvious connection that if someone's afraid, they are more likely to come back to the hospital where they're going to feel safe. 
but to see it borne out in the data and to see that done through a machine learning algorithm, through you know the, the sentiment analysis, tagging of comments, tied to you know all the metrics that we had was uh, was pretty amazing. So we're we're really excited about that. I mean, it's it's one of the uh, harder projects that we have on our plate. So hopefully by the you know end of this year, we've got uh, a couple of customers that are are kind of working with us through it, and you know that's that's one of the big ones for sure. Okay, so here's one thing unclear to me. Based on what you were talking about earlier, we're moving from readmissions to more of an overarching patient engagement type of concern, maybe, or scope of concern. However, I'm trying to figure out what the outcomes we're shooting for are here. And readmissions keeps coming up. Yeah. And maybe maybe it was too, maybe, you know, I don't want it to be taken like that's that's not one of the core focuses because it's still you know I would, half of our company is focused around reducing readmissions that's that's the core outcome that folks look at for voice in the hospital space thank you for that very nice setup to my actual question <laughs> <laughs> which is when a provider is thinking about outcomes obviously readmissions is a big part of that pie chart that people are gunning for what else is in that pie chart yeah, I you know I think I really do. I feel like the the core outcomes that we're we're aiming at in the hospital space at least are the you know really re- around readmissions, around HCAPs, and then as we move into some of the other markets, uh, objectives become a little bit more varied. If someone's working on CJR, you know there you're really looking at how do we reduce the cost of care. Other folks have large contracts with different milestones that they're trying to achieve from a care management perspective, and so there's a really direct ROI in helping them achieve those contractual milestones. That's been kind of a you know a niche specialty that we've we've been able to develop out where a contract requires that uh, X number of diabetics are going to go and visit a foot doctor and an eye doctor, so we need to do a care gap call to make sure that those those folks are going to get to that appointment. And you know we've we've seen uh, organizations that start looking at, at compliance targets that just seem unachievable, completely unachievable, and then we come in and we're able to to help them move pretty quickly towards the the goals and exceed the goals that they're setting as part of the program. So we've we've done that, you know, in in District in New York as well as, you know, in, in other places across the country. What's CJR? CJR is the joint replacement bundle that is now as of right now is mandatory uh, for about 500 hospitals. It's a really really interesting model. So bundle CJR falls into the category of bundled payments and a bundled payment effectively uh, a bundle payment is intended to perfectly split the risk between the insurance company and the hospital. That was kind of the 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 concept behind it. Is how do we how do we create a system where you know the insurance company has risk, but the hospital has to manage some of that risk, and there's a balanced payout for you know following through on the incentives. And I I am a huge huge fan of this program. It's one of my biggest fears in the the current changes in the administration. Actually, is the the way in which they're viewing the bundle payments programs because I do believe that they they are you know very loud and have have been proven successful. We've we've seen the success. So with bundle payments, what we're doing is predicting what the cost of the patient will be. You're doing an actuarial analysis to say that the the average patient would have that one hospital stay but then might get readmitted 10% of the time. So we're going to add another $500 to the cost. They're going to use 10 days of home health visits, and that's going to cost another $1,000. So, okay, hospital, when you've got that patient, we're actually going to pay you $6,500. But we're going to deduct from that every home health visit and every readmission. So it's the first time, you know, the first time where really, really effectively the hospital is now responsible for the entirety of the episode from the time the patient comes in until after the the episode is really completed. 
And there's a number of different ways that you can, you know, support that process and, and help ensure an optimal patient outcome at a low cost. Thank you for that very complete explanation. You know, it just it really takes this golden opportunity that the hospital has to change the patient's behavior. You know, I, I feel like a visit to the hospital is a traumatic experience. It's a teaching experience. It's a healing experience. And the hospital has this just sort of natural power in that process where if they can educate you and support you and have, you know, a, a good incentive structure about making sure that your recovery is, is as optimal as possible, they're happy to do it. You know, they, they are doctors that want you to recover. They don't want you to go back to the hospital in 30 days and they don't want you to spend 10 days in acute care rehab and they don't want hundreds of visits to any, you know, other kind of provider in the process or back to an ED, something like that. So, you know, really, really hopeful that as the government is kind of going through and looking at all of the different programs under the Affordable Care Act and uh, what you know CMS has done in the, in the Innovation Center, that that these funnel payment programs get a, a really close look because you know, from from my perspective, from the folks that I've talked to in the space, certainly from the entrepreneurs that you know see see the value in these programs and have designed solutions that can really help achieve them. It, it would just be crazy to stop now. We had such good momentum going into this year on the program that uh, it's, it's a real shame if, if it gets slowed down any further than it has been already. Well, I certainly hope that Tom Price hears this podcast. <laughs> thank you so much for being on Relentless Health Value today, Zach. Great. Thank you so much, Stacey. Always a pleasure. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.